Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family, it's time once again to come out of those closets, those places that we tend to make excuses and we don't want to face our fears, and then we find ourselves constantly apologizing for being who we are in the world. Everything from being gay to having an affair to going to leave a job that we really hate or even turning from being a very faith-based person to an atheist. Yes, that is what we are talking about today. I met today's guest at a conference that we both attended and we had a nice conversation and then out of the blue, he reached out to me and said, I think I've got a subject here for your podcast. And as soon as I read it, I thought this will be a great topic because as somebody in the LGBTQ community, the thing that I have seen most of my clients as I've coached with them, as I've helped them come through the closet doors, this thing about faith and religion and being who they are many, many, many times is the biggest stumbling block. And then today in the world that we live, I know that there are fewer butts in the pews as people are abandoning religion and maintaining their faith and spirituality, but there's many more questions about who they want to be and how they want to show up in the world as it pertains to religion and faith. And when Jeff Coleman reached out to me after meeting him at the conference and said, well, this might be interesting. I am a pastor who went from being a pastor to an atheist. I said, game on, bro. Let's go. So Jeff, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. And it should be noted that at that conference, we were also uh, sharing a I think a scotch or a whiskey or an old fashioned. Maybe there was something there. There was some some kind of alcoholic (laughs) libations going on for sure. So yeah, it was a good conference and we had a lot of fun and it was a fun evening because we we were drinking and eating and everybody was sharing their stories. So, um, but this story did not come up in our conversation. So I'm really, (laughs) I'm really looking forward to it. And, um, so let's just kind of dive in, man. I'm going to start by saying I have had this crisis of faith. Um, actually, in my book, I talk about, you know, sitting on a beach in the middle of the night, screaming at God, saying, okay, if I'm not supposed to be gay, then, you know, just take me out with the ocean waters. And next morning, I woke up basically covered in sand and looking up at the sky and going, well, I guess I'm here. So I guess I'm queer. And we moved on. So that's kind of how I knew I was good. But um, obviously, something came up for you where you're like, hmm. Nope, this isn't a fit. So why don't you start to take us a little bit into that story, Jeff? I guess I, I won't go into background too much yep. yet. I mean, we can go back there, but the the uh, somewhat short version or or uh, truncated version. So as a as a person who, who believes the or believed the Christian story, as a person who taught it to others and based my life and vocation around it raised my kids based on this story, you know, part of the reason that you, or at least that I believed in this story was that it gave you hope, that it gave you relief, that it helped to ease your pain uh, when you're going through difficult times, gave you something to, you know, reach out to when, when life got tough. And so I watched a few really close friends go through some uh, very 
difficult times. They're, they're incredibly gracious, good people uh, who've adopted kids who have, mm-hmm. um, you know, kids that were living in orphanages that uh, were treating children like they weren't even human. Um, these were not people that deserved to be going through the, the crap that they were going through. Right. Um, and so they were, they were seeing their literally family members die too young, suffer for a long time and, uh, and die too young in their, in their twenties. Um, a, a grandma passing away in her fifties. Um, and just, that was the, the start of the whole thing of, of the unraveling of, I thought this story was supposed to give us relief. I thought this story was supposed to give us hope. And instead these good people who are Christian people, um, are experiencing nothing but hell on earth mm-hmm. uh, and having to explain this hell to their kids. And for me, that began this moment of, well, crap, I guess this thing isn't real. It was not providing the hope and the relief uh, that I, that I'm telling others that it should, and it does, then, um, then what's the point of the whole thing? Right. And so I remember sitting at, this is, uh, this was my best man. I remember sitting at his 20 uh, something year old brother's funeral and th- you know, hearing the pastor talk and, and me sitting in the pew thinking, I guess this is what it's like on the other side where all this is BS to, to me all of a sudden. That was the moment where I realized I, I can't do this. I can't believe this anymore. And I was a pastor as well. So mm-hmm. uh, coming to the realization of I don't, I don't like any of what's coming out of this guy's mouth. And, uh, and yet I have to go teach it to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was a very interesting time. I'm sure. Very interesting sure. season in life for sure. Well, it is. And I know as I shared, you know, my own little crisis of faith and I, it actually started for me in college and I was, I was raised seventh day Adventist and mm-hmm. I went to seventh day Adventist schools my entire life, clear up through my second year of college. And it was in that second year of college that I'm like, this is BS mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm getting a grade to go to a religion class I'm getting marked off if I'm not in church or in the Wednesday Vespers service, or if mm-hmm. I'm not going to the week of prayer, I'm getting marked off and potentially getting written up for these things. I'm like, this is punishment just for pure punishment's sake. I'm not, you know, and the more I had to, you know, get a grade for a religion class and, and I'm not. I'm not talking about like world religions. That to me is a different thing. You're learning about the different religions and how people see things and all this stuff. But when it's about religion and your faith and you don't get the grade because you didn't recite this verse correctly, or you didn't, you know, regurgitate what you've been told is supposed to be the belief behind this. I started to question everything and I'm, I still believe in a higher power and that pisses people off when I say that I'm like, (laughs) Well, I still believe there's something greater than me, but you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have this debate with you, whether it's a God or something else. I just, I just feel that way. And the more people kind of backlashed at me, the more I'm like, okay, this isn't playing good with me. And then obviously as I came out of the closet, um, the hypocrisy started to bug the crap out of me (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I don't go to church. I haven't in a long time and I don't feel guilty about it. I live my life. I, I, I give gratitude for what I have, but it is one of those moments when you cross over and it sounds like as you crossed over, you came to that realization that, okay, this fits better for me. And I'm curious as that began to fit better for you, 
what was some of the stuff you started encountering and obviously probably friends, family, <laughs> there had to be some backlash that started to happen, man. Yeah. Well, even just for, for me personally, right. My, um, my, as a, I'm an analytical person, I'm a, a somewhat critical person, I guess you'd mm-hmm. say. So like my, my faith experience always included a lot of doubt but I always saw that doubt as, as a healthy questioning and growing and that when people would, would just have this faith where they never questioned the thing and they were always happy and they were always, you know, woo woo about their faith. It just struck a chord as totally fake, totally inauthentic yep. to me. Maybe that was their true expression. I don't know. But for me, it was, no, no, no. We, we learn and we grow by asking questions and delving into things that don't make sense. Mm-hmm. But I mean, those were, those were ultimately the, the same questions and doubts that, that led to the whole unraveling. So coming out of my own, my own story there of how do I accept that these doubts are now actually just untrue, mm-hmm. that they weren't ever true. You know, that was, that was one thing personally uh, coming to that realization, having conversations with my uh, wife along that journey too mm-hmm. was difficult to say the yep. least. Yep. It wasn't even, so I've been, I've been, I quit church. I quit being a pastor. I quit this Christian faith two years ago. I didn't mm-hmm. until, uh, and my wife knew the reasons why she was along for that ride with me, but it wasn't until maybe six weeks ago that I used the a word, the atheist mm-hmm. word with her. Uh, and it even then took her, took her back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she, she didn't know how to deal with that quite yet. Took her a couple of days to, to process that. Mm-hmm. And I take it she's she's still practicing herself. Yeah, she. Okay. Um, you know, and, and it's not quite a yes and no, but I mean, the the church where I was pastoring, the church where where uh, she went up until we, we just moved out of uh, out of town very recently. Um, but the church where she was going, it was a, a super liberal uh, church, LGBTQ uh, friendly, accepting church. Hmm. Um, it was about as it was a safe church for people to come and question and be who they are and, right. and all that. Um, so it was a great church to, to be at because the, for me, because the whole point was we're here to question, we're here to learn, we're here to take things apart and maybe put them back together. Um, and so she stayed there up until uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, and that's still a, an integral part of who she is. Although now she's trying to figure out what she does without the institution. She's kind right. of excited about I like you kind of excited about this, this spirituality without the institution. What does that mm-hmm. look like? Mm-hmm. And so she's, she's eager to, to explore that for herself. Why do you think it is so many people though? And I, I think this is fundamental in many faiths and religions. They allow themselves to be in that space. As you just said, we're here to question and we're here to learn, but they almost come numb become in my opinion, become numb to the questioning. Like, well, this is just part of the practice. We become, we question, we question, and that's part of it. And then of course we endure pain because that's part of it. And we endure suffering. And I, I'm not going to say life is not full of, (laughs) I'm not going to say life isn't supposed to be, you know, without pain or suffering. It's just part of life. That's the way I've always looked at it. But why do you think it is that so many religions operate from those premises of questioning and pain and suffering is just part of it. And then people become numb to it and they just go, okay, this is how we do it. Mm. I, I mean, I think it, it harkens back to, to when, at least from Christianity, which is, which is the mm-hmm. only, you know, I know a bit about other religions and, and their institutions and, and history, but 
Christianity is the only one that I can speak to with any degree of expertise or authority or knowledge. Um, I mean, it's, it's back to when life was black and white, the institution itself itself carried all the power and you, I mean, this isn't quite what you asked, but I mean, you question at your own, mm-hmm. at your own risk. Right. Right. And it gives you, it gives you that, like I said before, that sense of relief, that sense of hope from back in the day when life was really blinking hard mm-hmm. and, and life wasn't a certainty, a long life certainly wasn't a certainty. And so having that hope and that, uh, that thing to look forward to in terms of the afterlife, I mean, it was, it was all that you could, it was all that you had to hold on right. to for yeah. some degree of, of pleasure in life mm-hmm. or afterlife. So beginning to question that, beginning to doubt that, I mean, that was, right. that was dangerous back in the day, but now we almost get like this rush out of it of, Ooh, I, you know, we're allowed to, to question things or, mm-hmm. um, or doubt the existence of hell. And, and that still, you know, leads us to a good, a good conversation and all that. I mean, mm-hmm. now it's almost like you're a rebel. If you start to question it, it releases this in these endorphins for you. And that's healthy for some people. It was for me for a while until right. it wasn't all of a sudden. Right. I just, I find it really interesting to, and I, and it's, it's one of the areas I don't tend to go play in much because it's kind of like politics. I'm like, I'm not going to waste my energy. (laughs) I Mm. just, here's what I believe. If you don't like that, that's okay. I don't really care if that's what you believe and I don't like it. That's okay. I just, I don't, there's too much other good stuff I can go do in my life. And a lot of people go, Mm -hmm. Oh, well you just, you're just a wimp and you don't want, no, I don't, I don't choose to live my life in those debates. But as I've grown through it myself, there will be days, even when I say, like I said to you, you know, I've seen myself much more spiritual than faith practicing. I will question, okay, but what does that really mean, Rick? What does that mean Mm. to be spiritual? And for me, I've come to the conclusion that as a spiritual person, I tend to accept what is. And to put too much stake in what I don't know is actually something that can drive, for me, can drive me crazy. Mm. Like if I really, if I can't figure out if there's an afterlife and I focus on that, then it drives me nuts. But if I just accept we are here and this is what's happening right now, and then tomorrow will be what's happening right then, and the day after that will be happening right then. I'm not saying I don't plan for the future, but I think too often we as humans and part of it because of how the faith based stuff has come into so much of our lives and society is it drives us to fearful thinking of the future instead of the future is coming. It's just coming. That's it. And I know people have a hard time wrapping their heads around those kind of thoughts. And then especially when you take and go, I don't believe there's a God or the existence of a higher power. Oh, they just want to, it's almost like you can see their face and their, you know, the cartoon of the ears and everything exploding out because this is what we've been told in general for thousands of years to believe in. So when you come across someone that like kind of gives you that deer in the headlights look of, what do you mean you're an atheist? How do you handle that? Jeff? Yeah. And, and a lot of times the question is, at least when it comes to me is, Oh, you don't mean you're an atheist. You're just agnostic. Mm. Uh, You believe in something. Well, I don't, I don't really care to to put the energy behind believing in anything. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been behind, I've seen behind that curtain. I know the, the arguments I used to, I used to be the one on the other side of that argument. 
for, for the entirety of my life from childhood all the way up until a few years ago. But yeah, I mean, so often it's just that, that word, like it was to my wife, that word is a bit shocking. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so polar opposite to, to what people expect, especially from someone like, like me. And I think it's also, it's, yeah, their, their brain just literally doesn't know how to, I mean, biologically this makes sense. Their brain just, it finds it difficult to comprehend an idea that is so polar opposite to what they believe, what they've mm-hmm. been taught, what their experience is. All right. Um, they can accept the idea of, okay, so you don't believe in this God, but you believe in the higher power or something. All right. Uh, that is easier to accept than, well, no, I mean, I don't believe in anything. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean I don't see the universe as an absolutely fascinating, beautiful place. All right. Uh, and that humanity still isn't entirely valuable and, uh, and of immense worth. It's just my where I start that story is just at a different place. And that's interesting. As you were talking through that, it's it took me through what I have experienced as a member of the LGBT community because mm. people can't they can't fathom. Well, how do you how do you how are you attracted to someone of the opposite sect? It's a learned behavior. It's this or it's that. And when I say, no, I'm not, I just know this is, this is who I am. And then of course I get the same thing that you do. <laughs> it's just yeah. a different story because I was married for 13 years. I had two children. And so that really fucks with them too. It's like, well, wait, <laughs> we don't understand. I'm like, well, there's not really anything to understand. It was always who I was. I just was not allowing myself to be that because of societal pressures and religious beliefs and all this sort of stuff that I thought, mm-hmm. okay, it's kind of like, and I hate to say this because then other people get pissed off, but I really don't care. It's kind of like an alcoholic. Oh no, I'm not an alcoholic, but you know, they're drinking behind the curtain, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, no, I'm not gay, but I'm doing it behind the curtain. And it is very similar because people just, they can't equate to that. But when I turn the conversation around and, you know, especially those that say, well, you chose to be gay. I'm like, mm-hmm. and when did you choose to be heterosexual? Yeah. Yeah. And then they don't know what to do. And that's usually when I see the ears explode. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah. they can't comprehend that answer because we as humans, we have to have the answer that seems like, okay, that, that, that resolves it. And when mm-hmm. you say, well, when did you choose to be heterosexual? They can't really resolve that because they know the answer is I didn't. And I didn't choose to be gay either. There wasn't mm-hmm. a magic moment in my childhood where I'm like, let's see. Oh, girl or no, I think I like boys. It was just, I saw that I like boys. Does it come any differently for a heterosexual person? I don't think so. It's like mm-hmm. suddenly you just know, you know, and it's really interesting. So what's been one of the biggest challenges for you other than obviously, you know, intimate family life stuff, but yeah. as you've, kind of begun to open up to this with people in the world yeah for me i mean besides um besides yeah family relationships and things and and you know when as a family an extended family faith was a massive part of the identity of who we were i mean that's been led to some difficult conversations but honestly the the most difficult part has been personally so much of of my not just identity, but my values, my worldview is, was wrapped up in this theological faith-based idea of who I was and what I believed and how I saw the world. So we, we went to a church. I, I pastored at a church where faith and social justice were, were intertwined, right? Where yeah. 
yeah. how we fought homelessness in our in our community or how we viewed racism or even LGBTQ acceptance in our, uh, you know, as full members of the community, right. all this uh, justice conversation and, and worldview was all wrapped up in my faith. And so when that faith was gone, it, it started this, um, there was like an absence, like a void there of, I don't know what, what any of this is because it's all been so tied up. And I don't think if you just went to a, you know, fundamentalist conservative evangelical church, I don't think it would have been the same, um, as, as my experience where it was all so tied up Mm -hmm. because faith was about justice. Faith was about, uh, values and about, um, how we treat other people in a, in a, different way than most churches uh, would have. So for a long time, my, my wife, she'd try to talk about, you know, the, the homeless initiatives in our community or, um, or she'd be reading a book about white institutional racism mm-hmm. and it would all just be triggers for me where like my shoulders would literally start to shake um, or my head would twitch, mm-hmm. like not talking about faith stuff at all, but stuff that had been so wrapped up in my faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I didn't know what to do with it. And it, it, was, it all was a trigger wrapped up into that faith conversation. So that, that was the most difficult part of the whole thing of what the hell do I believe about any of this now? Because mm-hmm. it it's all so wrapped up in this faith bundle. Oh, yeah. And anybody yeah. who says it isn't, I kind of have to look at them like, are you serious? Really? Your well, faith doesn't intertwine all this other stuff? Yeah. I don't buy that one bit. In fact, it's interesting to talk to family members within, I don't really talk to them, but to hear conversations through the, the filter of my parents um, about family members, uncles and aunts who practice the Seventh-day Adventist faith. And then they happen to be big Trump supporters, which just blows my mind because if I look at the way the Seventh-day Adventist faith believes, that they even know they really hold on to the verses in the Bible that in the end of time, there will be the leaders who come, you know, in wolves clothing and da, 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 and you will be blind to believe in them and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, okay, you know, why are you, you guys have learned this from, I learned this from when I was a kid. I still know it. I don't be- practice, believe it, but I see it in my own way. Mm-hmm. And then when I, when they get asked why they support him, it's like, well, because of his stance on abortion. I'm really, <laughs> Gosh. That one thing is what you're going to hang your fucking hat on with this one. Yeah. It just, and that's again, where this hypocrisy thing just, mm-hmm. it shows up. It's like, I see the following of something like that. And I go, I don't, I can't comprehend. I, I just mm-hmm. don't. And I feel yeah. blessed because I have dabbled in Buddhism enough to like take myself to a different space of, mm. I can't say complete non-judgment, but like, what does this matter? It does, there is no, there's no meaning unless I assign the meaning to it, you know? And Mm -hmm. so when Mm -hmm. I start hearing that stuff, that's where I get into my practice around Buddhism. Like, okay, this is, this is what we're going to do. We're going to step up this way. We're going to go into that space. But um, it's so fascinating to watch this unravel, which is very similar to probably what happened for you. You hear those things, you get triggered and then it's like ready to explode. Yeah. And I've never even, my wife is the only one that, that, that I've ever talked about this with. So let me tell the world now, um, put it out there on the internet around the same time as everything was starting to unravel, uh, white evangelical Americans, 80, 81% of them elected Trump. 
And that was the moment where I said, oh, fuck it. This can't be, this can't be real. Right. If that group that's supposed to believe what I believe yeah. and have been taught to believe elected this hmm. man, I don't, I don't want to get too mean. Yeah. Um, like that, then the whole thing can't, it can't be what I think it is. This whole death of, you know, this story is supposed to give us hope and, and relief combined with, and yet they elect that. Yep. I agree. That was, that was probably the final straw, mm-hmm. which to some people sounds ridiculous, but if your institution is supposed to reflect the values that you say and right. you elect this man and still to this day in Mm-hmm. In 2019, uh, believe in this man. It's still, the white evangelical folks that are holding them up. Those things don't. Those don't make any sense together. No, they don't. So they don't. It, that was the final straw. Where this can't. Yeah. This thing can't mean what I think it means. Screw yep. it. I'm done. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting for me. I had very similar. Well, I was well beyond it before the whole Trump thing. But when mm-hmm. I came out of the closet finally at the age 36. And then I went through my own versions of hell with family and, and arguing about, well, you're picking out this one thing in the Bible, which actually you don't even know if that's actually what it means, Mm -hmm. but yet you're wearing jewelry, you're eating pork, you're, you're wearing wovens, you're, you have divorces. That just was that final straw for me where I'm like, okay, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And it was, Almost the, it was the burning of the bridge that night of, on the beach for sure, because I was like, literally like, please, if that's who you are as a God, I can't do this. I literally can't do this, you know? And I know people are probably, some people listening to this may be going, okay, I'm done listening to Rick. That's fine. <laughs> I'm just saying my, my truth, because I think coming out of the closet around your religious beliefs, your spiritual beliefs, how you show up in the world in this whatever you want to call it, spiritual form or whatever it is, is another piece of letting people see you and see you for who you really are. Mm-hmm. And if they can't be there with you, then that's okay. But then at least they're not there wasting their energy and you're not there wasting your energy. Mm-hmm. You're just mm-hmm. there. And it's interesting, Jeff, because when we met, I had just had two similar conversations with two other people that week who are in the same exact space as you without knowing that you were going through this. But this conversation is very reminiscent of conversations I have with some people that I'm like, wow, I, I would have never saw this coming who have really come to that similar space that you have. Of, I don't mm-hmm. believe. Mm-hmm. I just don't believe because it's not in alignment with who I am. And yet, as they said it, it reminded me of when I see a client get to the space in their coming out journey where they just say, this is who I am, period. There's no shame. Mm -hmm. There's no apology. There's no guilt, whatever Mm -hmm. there might be wrapped up in all of that. And when I can hear it in their voice and I see it in their face, or most of the time I hear it in their voice because I work with them via phone or Zoom call like we're doing right now, I know that's when they've arrived at the space where they can actually start to step forward. And they yeah. just be who they are. And it's, it's a very powerful space. Yet, it's a very scary space for other people. Because now, that person represents something to them that they can't comprehend. Mm-hmm. And that's all any of this is. Anytime somebody comes out of a closet, and I've said this before, the closet that somebody's coming out of 
is for their benefit. The closet that somebody sees them coming out of will scare the person who's watching because they can't comprehend how anybody could come out of that closet. Yeah. It doesn't fit into their, their narrative. No, it's not their narrative yeah. at all. Yeah. And that's why there's so much pushback. Mm-hmm. You need to do this to make me feel good with you. No, yeah. I don't. And I, we all do that, <laughs> but you know, yeah. really nobody has to do anything to make anybody else feel good with them. You yeah. either this are good with them or you're you not. And how you feel. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's really yeah. interesting. So yeah. I'm curious, and I know this is fairly new for you, but as a father, how does this play out for you? Cause I know how it played out for me. Um, in fact, the funniest thing that happened just recently. So I didn't, I never really took my kids to church. There was a little bit of time right before I came out of the closet that my wife and I explored a couple of churches. And ironically, one of the churches we went to was a mega church in Southern California, which ended up being run by a very homophobic pastor whose son ended up committing suicide. I'm like, why the hell was I going there? And I know part of it was I was kind of being my rebellious, not going to be a Seventh-day Adventist, so let's go to like right. something completely you know, opposite of that. Um, so there was a little bit of time that the girls would go to you know, Sunday school, which was, of course, blasphemous in my family. Like, you don't go on Sunday, you go on Saturday. Right. Yeah. Um, but then once I came out, there really wasn't anything. And the reason I did it was because I'm like, you know, I want my kids to be able to choose. So roll mm. forward, literally, to like two weeks ago, my oldest one and her boyfriend went to see Jesus Christ Superstar. I said, oh, I hope you enjoy it. It's a really good musical. <laughs> yeah. And she comes out of it, and she texts me, she, and, I, and she goes, it was really good. I'm like, yeah, isn't it great? And she goes, but I wish, I wish you would have told me more about Jesus so I would have understood more of it. I started laughing. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I gave you the choice. I don't want to be that parent that says, you're going to go do this. You're going to understand. You know, because that was the dogmatic stuff that I went through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't feel like it was my place to go do that. But back to the question, how do you, how are you navigating this? Obviously with a wife who's still in, you know, searching herself for how to do this, but now here you are. How will you, how do you think you're going to do this with your kids? Yeah. So initially it was, uh, I felt, you know, I've, I've put enough on my wife having to, um, explore what our relationship is now. Not that our relationship changed, but you know, that's a pretty significant portion of who I was and how we connected. Yeah. All of a sudden changed. That was a, a shift. Um, and so as she kept going to church, the kids could go to church with her. Uh, I was never too worried cause it was a pretty left leaning right. liberal, um, safe environment. Um, you know, if we'd been going to some uber conservative, evangelical church that might have been a different I might have been a bit more uh, vocal Concerned, but yeah. yeah it's 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 a conversation that we haven't fully you know had yet right we're seeing where it evolves to um, and now that we've moved to a different um, a different city it's mm-hmm. we don't have a church that we go to yeah. she wants to explore this non-institutional version of faith Mm-hmm. Uh, which means we can put that conversation about our kids on the back burner. Um, but you know, as, as things like Christmas come up, you know, what do we do with that story? I love right. Christmas. Right. Um, I've always loved Christmas to like a probably I should be institutionalized uh, the amount that I love Christmas, but you know, now it's not about 
Jesus, or we can acknowledge that this is the tradition, mm-hmm. but but it's not, you know, what at least what what dad wants to talk about at Christmas. Uh, let's focus on Santa, but you know, we'll, we'll get there eventually. Mm-hmm. Kids are free to ask us questions, both of us and get different responses. And I think that'll be healthy yep. for them. It could be confusing for them too, but, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, just as but long I think as we it all, both I think it comes be down open to, about it. Right? Yeah. I think it comes down to, and of course, you know, being a gay parent, there was a lot of conversations that then had to be explored throughout the years. Yeah. Yeah. But it all comes down to relating to your child in the way that they can best understand in that moment in time Mm -hmm. that the question comes Mm -hmm. up. And I learned that really quickly with my girls and each time something would come up, we would address it and we would, you know, depending on whether it was with mom or with me, it would get addressed. And then, at the time we had a pretty good relationship. So I would share, Hey, this is how I handled it. Just want you to know, this is what I said and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And it really worked. Now, granted, you're not in that space where, you know, (laughs) you got separated parents and all that sort of stuff. But I think it is that interesting space to play in where here's how I would like to respond to this. How does that work for you? You know, Mm -hmm. because I think I know, I don't even think this, I know my girls have a much broader interpretation of life because of so many of the things that they went through being in a household with two dads and then a mom who was single for a long time and then just recently remarried in the last couple of years. Their perspective is much broader mm-hmm. and they see things from a completely different you know, lens than a lot of their friends about marriage, relationships, you know, sexuality, all that stuff that, that has influenced many other areas of their life as well. Mm -hmm. And I think people get hung up in this stuff like, Oh, but what about the kids? And I always want to say, and not to be tried about a movie tile, but the kids will be all right. The kids are just fine. You know, Mm -hmm. provided you give them the room for the kids to be just fine with this stuff. And it is a challenge because you got two parental influences going on, you know? And each kid is so different, right? I mean, mm-hmm. our, our oldest is super into, even though he's eight, he's super into science. He loves facts and logic. He listens to nothing but science podcasts. And so he, we're going to have a different type of conversation with him, not just because of his age, but because of who he is right. than we would with, with our five-year-old who is just a bundle of energy and, and couldn't sit still for two minutes mm-hmm. to talk about it. Five-year-old, you can say, hey, guess what? <laughs> Five-year-old gets to go, uh, you don't have to sit in church and wit- not be told not to wiggle around and everything, you know? <laughs> no, but he loved the social aspect of it, uh-huh, right? So uh-huh. he he misses that part. Right. Um, whereas nobody would, would sit down and talk science with with our oldest. Right. Um, because most of the boys there were were energetic kids who just wanted to run around. So Interesting. Um, yeah, each kid is different, and each stage as they grow up is, is different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's just an unfolding conversation that I'll continue to have. Yeah. So real quick here before we wrap up, I'm curious, what's what's one thing you've noticed different for yourself since you've come into this space of owning this is my belief and this is how I see the world? The freedom, uh, the weight off my shoulders, the ability or permission to just be who I am um, has been huge. Um, 
I didn't expect, like literally I walked around feeling lighter um, in the, in the weeks and months after uh, quitting my job or resigning from my position. Yeah. Just the, the ability to breathe more comfortably, to live into who I was and all this was, it was a lot easier because I had to have a, a incredibly supportive spouse, but yeah, yeah it, it, I can't even put it into words that the, the mm-hmm. difference and just the weight off the shoulders, mm-hmm. um, being who you are living into your own, your own narrative, your own story. The freedom is just, it's unbelievable. That's so powerful. It's such a, a beautiful place to wind it up because Jeff, what you just said is identical. So identical to so many LGBTQ people when they come out of the closet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the freedom, the weight off my shoulders, the permission to just be who I am and just the lightness. I mean, when, <clears throat> when I work with people, I can tell, I mean, not only does their tone of voice and everything start, you start to see it. It's like, okay. And they sit up a little taller and, and they are mm-hmm. a lot looser and they're more relaxed and they're more fun. And I, I was a sullen son of a bitch. Hmm. And it's yeah. not that when I came out, I'm suddenly, holla, let's go. You know, <laughs> that wasn't me. But I was definitely happy. People used to say, you never smile. You never mm. smile. Yeah. And I'm like, you want to know why I never smiled? Because I didn't have anything to fucking smile about. Mm. When you're living a dual life and you're, you're hiding yourself, you don't have a reason to smile. And I'm so glad you brought that full circle as we wrap up here because that freedom weight off your shoulders, permission to be who you are and the ability to breathe is what this podcast is all about. That when you uncloset yourself, the breath you get to take, no matter what that closet is, is probably one of the most precious breaths you ever take in your life because you know you're starting to live your truth. So yeah, yeah. I'm really glad we met, man. This was a mm-hmm. perfect conversation for this podcast. So, um, and keep being you, man. Just you can't we'll keep do. from Absolutely. it. Absolutely, it's a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, thanks for being here, Jeff. I so appreciate you, bro. All right, thanks, bro. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family! Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end, and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves, and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life on Closet. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, We'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.